Mistur Pinyzambi here, opinionated gamer, critic, insomniac, and lunatic here to talk games, movies, comics, music, and some current events, I guess. Just a safe space and safe place to talk anything and everything. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, play the intro or whatever. Put me in a blender till I render you unconscious. Little letter, no sender, cause you know I'm so obnoxious. Listen to this podcast if you're bored of you like nonsense. Music, news, movies, mini games, and even comics. Welcome! To the Pina Zombie Podcast. Woo! Hey there, lunatics, insomniacs, gamers, and all. Welcome back. This is episode two, titled Night Country Throwbacks and Fishies. Let's start with a little NFL recap. The semifinals commenced this past Sunday with the Kansas City Chiefs and Taylor Swift beating Lamar Jackson's Baltimore Ravens team 17-10. to this one ended in an absolutely mind-boggling interception where Lamar Jackson just threw it into a sea of red jerseys. A couple of other hiccups along the way caused the Ravens to fall short, not converting on a field goal when necessary and stumbling at the finish line causing a touchback. I know a lot of people are blaming Flowers for fumbling in the end zone, but honestly it happens. These are elite athletes playing at the highest professional caliber, and that defense is strong. However, what does need to be controlled out on that field is anger and emotion. This is a professional league. Taunting needs to be kept at a minimum. So if you're going to blame Flowers for anything, it's that. The second game of the evening saw a comeback victory from the San Fran 49ers against the Lions. They were trailing behind Detroit, but they mustered up a comeback and tamed the Lions. I guess you can say Detroit got rocked, city? Bad pun. But not to worry. It's not the last. Honestly, I was pulling for the Lions as well. At least they made it as far as they did, which is pretty damn good. Now the Super Bowl is set to be played on February 11th at 5.30 p.m. The San Fran 49ers and the Taylor Swift Chiefs. Sorry, I I meant to say the Kansas City Chiefs. All jokes aside, though, I do respect Taylor Swift. Amanda has told me how great she is as a female activist and an ally to the LGBTQ plus community, which is cool. Plus, I guess she makes a bunch of music that people like too or something i i don't know i just don't care to see her every single time the chiefs score but i get it a lot of swifty fans who never watched the nfl are, are now tuning in ursher is performing the halftime show and all of the 90s kids who grew up listening to him are extremely very and completely whelmed by it which is to say not overtly whelmed or underwhelmed just, you know, like if someone asks you, hey, who's performing the halftime show? And you say, Usher, they'll most likely respond like, uh, um, okay, well, I'm sure that's fine, I guess. Moving on. Been watching True Detective Night Country by new showrunner Issa Lopez and starring Jodie Foster and Kaylee Race, amongst many other great actors. Foster and Race bring in some female powerhouse firepower that the series has been lacking since Rachel McAdams in Season 2. This season welcomes more supernatural elements than any other season, including some ghosts and possible literal spirit walking. It takes place in Ennis, Alaska during its 30 days of night. Crazy, spooky, ritual mass murder has occurred and Foster and Race, who hate each other because of some previous case, are thrust upon each other to work this new case with the possibility of getting closure to the previous one. It's interesting and engaging, although many will compare it to the first season and say, no, no one is as good or as, as engaging as Matthew McConaughey's performance. 
hates a burst bubbles, but no one will ever compare to that. So if you're expecting a weird character to go out on an existential philosophical diatribe about how humanity should walk hand in hand into the stratosphere and deny their basic human extinct of creating progeny, smelling the aluminum in the air while we burst into flames staring at the hot, hot sun. You aren't going to get that. And if you do, it'll seem copied and phony. So let's hope no one even tries it. Each season of True Detective should be taken as is. A detective story, a murder mystery, an engaging piece of storytelling. If you're tuning in every Sunday, I'd say it's doing its job. So far, my only gripe with the show is the intro. Seasons one through three share an identity via the intro, with great striking visuals, a relatively unknown and catchy song that prefaces the series you're about to watch. Night Country, however, plays the done to death and well-known Billie Eilish's bad guy, duh, which just seems like a misuse of an otherwise flawless set of intro designs. Let's move on to Easter eggs and coinkydinks. Some fun things I'm noticing might be, might not be, but are possibly Easter eggs from John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm not sure if they are intentional or not, but I think it's fun to look out for them either way. We'll start with the discovery of the murdered bodies found in ice. They look eerily similar to the original thing in The Thing. You know, the one that is preserved in an ice block in the prequel and the one that is later examined by Dr. Blair in the John Carpenter one. This leads into the second coinkydink that is shared in this show, the naming of some of the characters. Dr. Blair shares his name with one of the cleaning ladies, the one who's being domestically abused by her boyfriend. Her name is also Blair. Also, one of the missing persons the titular characters are looking for is named Clark, like the dog keeper in the thing. Not sure if they are indeed Easter eggs or coincidences, but just thought that that was interesting and I'm still on the lookout for more. Overall, Night Country is fun, dark, cold, atmospheric, and moody as hell. It's cool to see these two cops who are equally good at their jobs, demand a level of respect, be likable, yet completely different, and both push the show forward. I only say that because Woody Harrelson's character, although greatly acted, didn't provide much use, and I feel Stephen Dorff, again, greatly acted, took a backseat to Mahershala Ali's character. Also props to Ali who fucking killed it that season. Uh, Night Country does a great job at giving equal runtime to each character, and the series benefits from it immensely. So if you have a max subscription, it's worth checking out. It's a cool murder mystery with a great cast, a strange setting, and it's entertaining. Catching the next wave is Aquaman 2. Jason Momoa and Patrick Wilson co-star as Aquaman and Ocean Master against Yahya Abdul-Mateen II souped-up Black Manta in Aquaman 2 and The Lost Kingdom. Yes, they made a part two. Yes, it came out already. And yes, it's actually already available on digital if you want to own it or rent it. I don't know, it might be just me, but I feel like the marketing campaign just wasn't there for this movie. It kind of just came out, which was fishy, but miraculously, it didn't flop. Told you there was more puns coming up. It's made most of its money back, uh, and more. It's actually the highest grossing DCEU movie since the last Aquaman movie. It passed up a $100 million mark globally. Uh, so, yeah, it's a winner, actually. Uh, I bought it as Aquaman is my favorite Justice Leaguer, and I know the criticism will stroll in. He likes Aquaman, what a loser. 
Nah, Aquaman is dope. He's the king of the seven seas, ruler of two-thirds of the earth, warrior, politician, a father, and a complete badass. So I watched it, and I, um, I liked it. Yeah, I, did, I liked it. Um, maybe I'm biased, but I enjoyed it. Jason Momoa was not my pick for Aquaman, just because when I think of Aquaman, I think of the natural-born king, a no-nonsense ruler who wouldn't hesitate to kick some ass and then sign a decree for the betterment of Atlantis, all in a day's work. The Aquaman I'd like to see is more akin to Beowulf. No, and not that god-awful tripe that was the Mechas' Beowulf, although it did have that one badass line. I am Ripper and Terror and Slasher and Gouger. Mine are the teeth and the darkness and the talons and the nights. Mine is the strength and lust and power. I am Beowulf. No, not that one, uh, but the one from the actual epic poem. The Beowulf from the poem is an honorable hero, a warrior, a king. You know, actually, Phil Lamar does a kick-ass uh, job as Aquaman, a fantastic Aquaman in the Injustice series. Uh, however, I'm getting a little off topic. I, I'd like to say I can respect that they went in a different direction, and Momoa is a ton of fun to watch, no matter what he's doing. Also, seeing him don the classic orange and green suit looks epic as hell. That costume literally and figuratively shines in here. Momoa looks like Aquaman from the Justice League show. He's big and menacing, which is cool. So he gets that down in spades. The movie is a fun ride and everyone gives it their best. Patrick Wilson and Jason Momoa are a lot of fun together. Black Manta is actually a threat in here. And there are good mo moments scattered throughout. I didn't mind the two-hour runtime, which can feel like a slog at times. But here, with each charismatic performance, it just felt right. The movie isn't without its cons. Some jokes fall flat. Some characters are uninteresting. You heard. And the CGI is god-awful in various scenes. It looks like a cutscene for a video game, which isn't a dig at video games. It just looks really, really fake in a live-action movie. Also, the worldwide threat and the personal threat to Arthur slash Aquaman never really seems to be that threatening. Stakes never really feel that high and never really felt like anyone was in any true danger. So there's that. Is Aquaman worth a watch? Yeah, I, I think so. I think a book ends the DCEU well with no frivolous cameos. It's a contained storyline that doesn't ask you to remember Eric Stoltz was originally cast as Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Because why? Why would anyone? So when it comes to Aquaman 2, just turn off your brain, have a Guinness, and enjoy the movie. Now to a little segment for throwbacks. Throw that back up, do a throwback segment. Throw that back up, do a throwback segment. I recently played a little Gears of War Ultimate Edition co-op storyline with good friend of Xbox fame, Casito Fresco. Game still holds up. It looks as great as ever. Character designs are big and detailed. The world is beautifully broken, moody, and dark. Guns feel powerful and sound great. Character dialogue is memorable, blending a fine line of comical and dramatic. Player, playing Gears of War Ultimate Edition made me remember why I fell in love with the franchise in the first place. So if you have never played Gears and are afraid to step into a game that is now almost a decade old out of fear, it'll play like garbage and seem antiquated, don't be. It's still a hell of a game and a ton of fun, especially with a buddy. Except for that garbage APC level with the Krill. That is still the worst part of the game. 
Lastly, I want to tackle a game I really enjoyed when I was younger and one that scared the hell out of me. It was another Xbox exclusive by the name of Condemned Criminal Origins from Monolith Productions. These are the people that brought you the Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games. They're also currently working on a Wonder Woman game, which was announced, but we haven't really heard much since. Still looking forward to it, though. Um, this game, although not as scary as I, as I remember it, it builds a gorgeously dark, dangerous, and somber world that is guaranteed to elicit several frights. The enemies are wild and feel real for the most part, reacting to your character verbally and physically and ripping apart the environment to take you down. In this game, anything can be a weapon, from a random piece of a 2x4 with nails sticking out of it or a pipe fixture you've ripped off of a wall. This world is like the Hannibal universe, but much, much, much worse. There are addicts hopped up on, I don't know, bath salts? Fighting you and each other causing mayhem. Brutal serial killers running rampant. I mean, the game literally has a police department called the SCU, the Serial Crimes Unit, dedicated to taking down serial killers. There are neighborhoods left completely unpoliced, spooky levels like a mannequin mall, a burned library, and an apple orchard. Couple that with the murder mystery, a couple of shadowy organizations, a great sidekick in Rosa... A serviceable hero in Ethan and a combat system that is simple yet brutal and downright satisfying. A badass taser, some kick-ass finishers, personal favorite of mine is the headbutt. The hero also has some of the most comical kicks in any game that any game has ever seen, actually. If you're looking at his shadow and you do a full 360 spin while kicking, you're gonna laugh. And if you don't laugh, you're just, you're broken inside. All in all, it's a wild ride that plays like a mesh of Hannibal, the X-Files mixed in with some true detective and some sprinkled in CSI. Like Gears of War, this game still holds up. The game is so stylized that it doesn't look its age. This game was released in 2005, but it still looks damn good. Damned good? Condamned good? No, that, that's that's just a bad pun. That doesn't... That doesn't. Anyway... It's backwards compatible on the Xbox platform, so if you have an Xbox 360 or anything after a 360, check it out. Like, honestly, you're missing out if you haven't played this diamond in the rough. Uh, that's it for this episode. Thank you all, and always remember, storytelling is the way we share what we love to who we love. So go play, watch, read, write, listen, and tell your stories. I'll catch y'all on the next one.